0: So I'm going to talk about something extraordinarily controversial today. Um, I'm going to talk about the culture war that we're currently in, in America. And what's tough about this topic, and I'll be honest, I have spent hours and hours poring over this. As a matter of fact, I shot a version of it Thursday. Some of you may have seen the online one. And this one's like two-thirds different. Because Thursday night, I was just about asleep after cutting the online one, and God woke me up and said, no, dummy, do it this way. And so uh, uh, I had to revamp slides and do different things. The hard part about this message is the culture wars are extraordinarily polarizing. You've, and it's either you're this or you're that. And we have gotten to a place where it's almost hate. It's not just discord anymore. It's not just we disagree or we agree to disagree. We demonize the other side, whoever the other side is. And you've got on one side, you'll have progressives and uh, all that stuff. On the other side, you'll get the MAGA and the white supremacists And and those of us caught in the middle are wondering as Christians, what do we do about this? How do you respond to this? Do you say something and look like you're crazy? Do Do you not say something and sit on your hands? Do you do something in between? See, the hard part is when you try to speak truth, you sound judgmental. You sound right uh, uh, self-righteous. You sound like you're, you know, uh, a homophobe, right? You sound like you're a label. If you show too much grace, you sound like you don't understand God's righteousness or holiness or justice or judgment, So where's the balance? We know that Jesus was truth and grace. And I'll be honest, he's the only one that's pulled it off perfectly. And so as I go forward here, um, believe me, I have sweated over this one. God has told me to preach this message. And this morning in my prayers, I was going, I know people are going to be offended. Not by me, but by this. And I know people are going to be angry on the other side. And again, not by me, but by this. And God told me. I was praying. I was like, oh, Lord, really? And his words to me was, be bold. And then I told my wife that, and she says, well, Tom, that's never been your problem. <laughs> this is funny. I was preaching at Samanca Place, and I made the comment that sometimes I'm as blunt as a shovel. And Tanya was watching, and she wrote, blunt as a shovel. Ha, 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 ha. I'm like, "Yeah, you didn't have to really reinforce that, Tanya. So... I would ask for grace today as we go through this, but I'd also ask you to listen to God's word. Because this isn't really my opinion. Um, This this is what God has to say. So, here in this picture is a group of men, and they are men, sisters of perpetual indulgence. You may have heard the story about how they were invited to a Los Angeles Dodgers baseball game. And this group is extremely anti Catholic, and they do what we would consider blasphemous things. And there was a ton of pushback on on them. So the Dodgers disinvited them and then re-invited them and didn't know really what to do and just made everybody mad. Uh, What is right? What is wrong? Who's to say? And this is kind of what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, Am I on? I'm on. Oh, i got to go like... Oh, come on. you got to work for me today. Okay. (laughs) Okay, it worked. Thanks. I don't know if someone... Thank you, God. Uh, I found this meme. I love it. People claim often... To hunger for the truth, but rarely like the taste of it when it's served. I'm married. I agree with that. (laughs) My wife tells me the truth all the time, and I'm like, I don't like this at all. You ever have those, like, arguments, and you're like, darn it, she's right. (laughs) Right? So don't give me that look. My wife is just giving me the looks today. I want to start out by asking this question. Have you ever been lied to? Lied to? Did you go, oh, my goodness, thank you for lying to me? You would have really hurt my feelings had I known the truth. So when you lied to me, I know you were saving my feelings, so thanks. That was awesome. I know you really care about me. Or did you go, you're lying You're lying to me? Why would you lie to me? And you get angry because someone lies to you. Now, I used to be a guy that lied. I grew up with a con man. My dad was in and out of jail my entire youth, and I learned from him from a very young age how to be a con. And I thought little white lies were okay because you're saving people's feelings. Turns out I met my wife, and that's not true. One of the very first things she said was, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, that's a very big, strange change for me. But I've learned as I came to faith and got back in the church and stuff, lying, is, that's a horrible thing. I think the most unloving thing you can do is lie to somebody and not tell them the truth, don't you think? Well, you're being lied to. The culture is lying to you because... Satan is a liar. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, why would I say that you're being lied to by the culture because of Satan? I'm going to give you what we call a Socratic argument. If you go to law school, they'll teach you this. A equals B, and so B equals C, so A equals C. If Satan is the prince of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, and the culture is worldly, according to James 4.4, 4, then the culture is created by Satan, and it's all a lie. See, Satan's the prince of this world, and every system in it is based on his control. We lost control in the garden, right? Satan is with, with Jesus, and he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world because they are mine to give. People read that and go, wait wait a minute, I thought we had, I thought we had domain over the earth. No, we lost it at the garden. Do you ever notice in the world system, everything's about your performance? Want a job? Better perform well during the interview. You want to keep a relationship? Better perform well. The whole system's based on performance. Is God's love for you based on performance? It better not be, because <laughs> we suck. It's based on grace. God loved us before we loved him, Right? And so we know that this system is broken, the worldly system. And so when we think about the culture, and I'm not just talking about whether you're left or right. See, this is a misunderstanding. This is a complete misunderstanding. It's going to be a misunderstanding, I swear to goodness. The lie Satan tells today, there is no God. Scripture says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. But if there is a God, he hates, he hates hates the LGBTQ plus community. Christians, you're all homophobic and bigots. Intolerance, it equals hate. Disagreement is an offense. Divisions are appropriate. We need to divide ourselves into like groups. Even in the church, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Charismatic, morality is relative. There is no absolute truth. God should be made in our image, not the other way around. The God of the Bible is not good. Bad things happen to good people. God sends people to hell. He's not a good God. You can't trust him. You don't need God in your life. You can be successful without God. Right? These are lies, Satan tells the, the, the culture, and there's many, 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 many more. problem is we buy into it. But here's the problem. We look at each other, and we see the other. We see the, we see the enemy, right? But Scripture says we, it's not against each other. It's not against flesh. It's against powers and against rulers of the dark world. Well, understand what this means. In the Jewish first century understanding, in the Jewish history, powers and principalities were demonic forces. Rulers of the darkness of this world are demons. And against spiritual wickedness in the high places, Satan himself. So what Paul is saying to the Ephesians is, hey, don't fight each other. Don't don't you get it? It's a spiritual war. We're having a spiritual war. Don't hate hate somebody. Love them. Now, hold them accountable, but don't misunderstand what's going on here. And this is the problem we have in our culture right now in my mind is, and I'm I'm not talking about the people that are not believers. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about in the big C church, and I'm talking about in this church. We disagree with each other as if each other is the problem. It's not the problem. Spiritual warfare is the problem. Now, some of you are going, oh, Tom's going to see Satan behind every tree. (laughs) I don't. Some of you don't believe this. Doesn't make it less true. I'm going to show you why. So what this is not about today It's not about right versus left or conservatives and liberals or even progressives and MAGA. It's not straight versus LBGTQ+. It's not whites and blacks. It's not parents versus school boards. It's not cops versus Black Lives Matter. It's not any of these dichotomies that are out there in our culture. Those are all false constructs. Those are false premises. I'll tell you what it's about. Satan and his demons are trying to take eternal souls to hell. And Jesus and his people, that's us, are trying to share the gospel to save souls from hell. That's what all this is about. So if you think about your scripture from that framing, it makes sense. I I read the most brilliant thing this morning. I was prepping for this. I was changing slides at the very last minute because, you know. And I was reading this book, and it said, The Bible is a book of trauma. A book of trauma. And I went, oh, that's so brilliant. From the fall to fall of creation, Adam and Eve being kicked out, to Cain and Abel, every story is a book of trauma. Well, we're traumatized, aren't we? We're so traumatized in our faith that we can't even get along on basic doctrinal issues. That's how much trauma. And Satan just fans the flame of that. He just accentuates it. So why should we care? What does it matter about the culture? Didn't, didn't uh, uh, Paul say in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, I think in, chapter, in verses 7 through 12, he says, don't worry about the outsiders, what are they to us? But aren't we to judge the insiders and hold them accountable, right? Well, yeah, not, yeah, I get it, Paul. But the Father says he wants none to perish. Because we love everyone who's made in God's image, we have to speak the truth to them, even when it's hard for them to accept We have to stand our ground according to Ephesians 6. And we know people are blinded by Satan. We know that. And so we have a choice to make, church, that we can stand on the sidelines and watch it, watch it all burn. um, Or we have to decide what God's calling us to. So I think we should care. I think Scripture tells us we should care. So I would tell you that Satan is winning battles, but he's losing the war. He's winning battles, but he's losing the war. Let me tell you what battles he's winning. We are in what we call a post-Christian America. Christianity used to be the dominant culture in America. Now, I'm not saying America was great. It wasn't. You know, before the 60s, we had Jim Crow laws, segregation, there was violence, there was oppression of women who didn't have rights, there was glass ceilings, there was all sorts of problems. But when that sexual revolution came along, <laughs> and a whole group, a whole, a whole generation said, we're not going to believe anymore in the absolute moralities of God. And we started to slide to, if it feels good, do it. Any of you of that generation, hippie generation? You're not going to admit it. Okay, good. I know you are, because I know your ages, you hippies. It's your fault. <laughs> My sister was 14 years older than me, and she was part of that. She was at Woodstock. At least she tried to get there. It was too busy. Um, man, they messed us up. And all of the, what we've got now sexual fluidity, uh, uh, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, all the stuff that's going on today that we're like, wow, <laughs> people are shooting up in the middle of the streets of Portland in front of everyone. How did that happen? Start in the 60s, culturally. Because we gave up this idea that there is a God, that he is sovereign and we're not. We gave up the idea that there's moral absolutes, there's a law, right? We gave all that up. My truth is as good as yours. And here we are, 60 years later, reaping the benefit of it. So I want to talk about Barna. Barna is a research group and and they do polling. And they came up with this idea of what a biblical worldview is. Okay, and this is this is just basic, basic Christian doctrine. There are absolute moral truths that exist. So if you read the Bible, I hope you do, in the Old Testament you have laws. You have ritual law, ceremonial law, and the moral law. Well, we don't do ceremonial law, we don't do ritual law. The, The moral law, God didn't change his mind about murder. He didn't change his mind about false scales. He didn't change his mind about those things. The moral law stands. The source of moral truth is this. Have we had fights about that? Ooh, boy, have we. The Bible is accurate in all its principles. Eternal spiritual salvation cannot be earned. You can't work your way to God. It's a gift. Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. That's just part of the doctrine. If if he didn't, then none of this matters. Every person has a responsibility to share their religious beliefs with others. Satan is a living force, and God is all-knowing. Okay? This is like basic kind of Christian stuff. Then they did some polls, and they were saying, okay, where does everyone stand on some of these issues? Who holds an orthodox biblical view? Right? In 2021, only 46% of Christians held an orthodox view. Who the Bible is accurate word of God? Only 41%. Who believes they're going to heaven solely on the confession of their sins and acceptance of Christ as their personal Savior? Only 30%. Everyone else thinks they're getting there because they're good people and gave you the United Way. How many possess a biblical worldview in our culture? 6%. No wonder why we fight, right? No wonder why we don't get along on some of this stuff. But let's go about pastors. This was depressing when I saw this one. These are about pastors. I'm going to start from the bottom. Which pastors have a biblical worldview? Executive pastors, guys that are running denominations, 4%. Now, I'm happy to say that Steve Bills, who runs ABC, um, I've heard him preach. He seems pretty darn solid. I think he's good. How about children and youth? 12%. Teaching pastors, 13, those are Bible study teachers, 13%. So, what's being taught to the younger generations, yeek. Associate pastors, 28%, lead pastors, 41 percent not even half of the senior pastors have a biblical worldview and i'm going to show you why you shouldn't be surprised by this a couple more numbers only 25 percent of christians are practicing 47 percent of americans do not feel the need to share their faith 41 percent of americans agree jesus committed sins 33 percent of americans have never attended a church service we are post-Christian. We are not the dominant culture anymore. And it's upsetting some of us. We're mad that we can't be the dominant culture like we've always been. And we are kind of raging at the machine. We need another Azusa. Uh, we, need, we need to have another revival. That's not what I read is going to happen in here. By the way, if you read this book to the end, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. So I figured we should just all meet, start a monastery, make some chocolate. Be a great way to go. Bev, remember that peanut butter pie thing you made that one time? If we were to market that, we could pay the entire church budget. She is an incredible cook. So I got ideas. See me afterwards. In Genesis, when the, the snake, Satan is testing Eve, he said, Did God really say? Did God really say if you ate of the apple, you he was making God out to be a liar. Did God really say? That makes God out to be a liar. Now, there's an unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about, right? Grieving the Holy Spirit, and that's ascribing evil to God. Well, that's what Satan does. So he twists the word, giving you half-truths. He makes God a liar, but God's not going to be mocked. And this is the hard part. His truth is clear. The Scripture in Galatians says, God will not be mocked. Everyone will reap what they sow. So there's consequences. You can choose whatever you want but there are consequences. And this is what I love about God. He knew from the beginning. This book was written over a 1,500-year period by 40 authors, and it's absolutely consistent. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what's fascinating to me, all the issues in our culture today that we're all upset about, he addressed from 145 B.C. to 95 A.D., 1,445, he was talking about the stuff we're all a Twitter about today. So I'm going to go through some of this scripture. And this is the part where some of you are going to have to hold your breath and count to 10. Right? Because God's word, everyone loves the Jesus that's really nice and sweet shepherd, but they they don't like the one that's whipping people and throwing tables around. Um, So we're going to talk about both that today. God addressed LGBTQ stuff. Women don't wear men's clothes. Men don't wear women's clothes. The Lord your God tests them this stuff. That was written in Deuteronomy, Moses. Okay? Leviticus. Don't lie with the males, you lie with the women. Everyone knows this one. Everyone, everyone's favorite book is Leviticus, right? Matthew. Have you not heard that which he made? They made them male and female, um, and they'll be caused to be married. Male and female. So he de- dealt with gay marriage. Immigration and divisions. Ooh, this has got someone's attention. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither the slave or free. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. Leviticus, the stranger who resides with you, your favorite book, shall be as you, a native. Don't forget you were once a slave in Egypt. Right? How are we treating people at the southern border? Not well. Leviticus again. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes a first step further and says, who's your neighbor? The good Samaritan was. Now, the Samaritans, Jesus could not have picked a worse person for the, for the Jews to have to love as their neighbor. You know, we talk about anti-Semitism. There was anti-Samaritism on the Jewish side. They hated the Samaritans. And yet Jesus tells this parable that the, <laughs> the, the teachers had to begrudgingly say, well, the Samaritan's the good neighbor, right? He was trying to make a point. He dealt with a life issue. The very first person to recognize Jesus was Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, in the womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew your name before you were born, right? They say it's evil that you have to uh, cast out and kill babies. This was the Moses line, I think, that uh, uh, we were talking about. And then in Matthew, we had to talk about how Herod wanted to kill all the babies because they were trying to kill Jesus because Jesus was going to be this king. Right? This idea of infanticide, bad. But we've politicized these issues so much, and we've picked sides. You, 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 you. I can always pick the people that are against me and what I think. And we're not even looking at this anymore and understanding we're all being played. We're all being played by Satan. Satan wants you to believe God is a liar. And that, that, that's, that's what it is. And we have free will to decide that or not. So Galatians, before you get to the spiritual fruit, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, there's a section before it no one reads. <laughs> and what Paul is doing in Galatians, see, he wrote two different churches kind of um, uh, what I would call come to Jesus letters, the church of Corinth and the church of Galatia. And he says at Galatia, the spiritual fruit is this stuff, but before you get there, I need to compare what you're doing. And you're being sexually immoral. And you have impurity and debauchery. Idolatry, you've put things ahead of God. Witchcraft, um, maybe they're reading the uh, um, astrology stuff. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. That sounds like today. That that sounds like, you know, a, a, a Sunday trip to Portland. But then he says this, I warn you as I did before. I've said this, I've said it again. Those who live like this, you embrace that you don't fight your sin, you don't hate your sin, you embrace this stuff, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's some pretty harsh words. And I'll tell you why I, I, I'm, in, I'm just pressed to give this message. I want none to perish either. And there are people in the big C church and the little C church embracing some of this stuff. And Jesus is really clear. They don't like this Jesus. Whoever is not with me is against me. You know he said that? Whoever is not with me is against me. You choose me or you don't. Remember when he said, he goes, I didn't come to to, to bring people together. I came to divide people. Mothers will be against daughters. Fathers will be against sons. I didn't come with peace. I came with a sword. People forget those verses from Scripture that Jesus said this. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll consider what I said. You'll take the good stuff and leave out the bad. You will obey my commands. Obey those of us in the military. <laughs> there are orders we obeyed we didn't Because like some officer told us to do it. Or in your case, someone above you. Right? Obey means you do what you're told. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. There's a guy, Dick Marshenko. He was SEAL Team 6 commander. And he had this uh, top 10 uh, commandments. And he, one of them was, thou hast not to like it. Thou hast simply to do it. <laughs> Which I love because I'm a military guy. And then James 4.4, 4, friendship with the world is enmity toward God. You're an enemy of God if you love the world, because the world's Satan's. And it's a lie, and if you love a lie, not, then the truth's not in you. What are you going to do? Because then you do make God out to be a liar, and when you make God out to be a liar, then you have grieved the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable spin. What's God supposed to do with you? Well, did not you know all the prophets told people to repent? Every single prophet. I mean, most of the Old Testament. Repent, 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 repent. I will be your God. You'll be my people. Stop doing what you're doing. You're driving me crazy. John the Baptist. Repent, repent. Jesus, when he starts his ministry. Repent, repent. We don't like that message. Because we like doing what we're doing. We want God made in our image instead of us being made in his. So we're not obeying. And then we are against him. Now, I read another thing, Good Things, this morning. i got a thousand thoughts in my head. I'm reading this. Uh, I do a lot of counseling um, education. And this, this writer said there's sin, which is uh, willfully embracing something evil. And then there's struggle. And that's where you hate your sin, you hate what's going on, you're fighting it, but you're struggling. And, and then there's, um, <laughs> you're just, what he used the term was, uh, uh, they had no discipline, lack of discipline. And that's you know the right thing to do, but you're just too lazy to do it. You have no discipline. And then there was what he said: mental illness. Some people act out in mental illness, and they can't control it. They have impulse control issues. They have all sorts of things. And as as a counselor, as a preacher, as any of us in the congregation, we have to discern that because one size doesn't fit all. Just because you see someone doing something doesn't mean what we love to do, right? Sinner, sinner. Remember, remember Greg Sneller. He had that dog. And, and when he said sinner, it would growl at you? Did, did he ever do that to you or just me? Oh. Maybe he just did it to me. I don't know. Okay. Okay, fine. He just did it to me. I want to talk about the Jesus model. See, we're living under a lie. Satan's lying to us about the culture, all this stuff. It's not about all these things we think it is. Satan's trying to convince us, abandon this. Abandon hope in God. He is not for you. And if you read this, you'll find something in it you don't like. I don't care who you are. If I wrote this book, first Tomalonians would say a lot different stuff. But I didn't write it. So the Guse model tells us to engage the culture. I always tell people Jesus went to the synagogue. He went to the temple, but 10,000 people showed up when he went outside. And, and he talked to them. Not in a high kind of theological way. He met them where they were in truth and love. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He says, I'm, I'm compassionate toward you. But he's the guy that talked about hell the most. Right? He could do both. When you meet people where they are, you got to take in their circumstances, their education, their understanding, their belief, and you got to speak their language. You ever, ever try to talk churchy language outside the building to people? They just look at you? When I was in college, the Maranathas used to come to campus at U of O, and there was this knoll they would go on. And <laughs> these guys were great. We would gather around just to listen to them. And this woman would point at the college girl co-ed and go, Fornicator! <laughs> it's like, you're not convincing anybody. <laughs> you know, that is, that is not winsome. Fornicate. We had to look that word up. We didn't even know what that meant. Um, you got to talk people's language. Jesus talked about vineyards and buildings and seeds, and you know all those parables were about people things people knew. He still told the message truly. But when we go out of this building to talk about Jesus, we cannot hit him with all this churchy stuff. People say, you know, how do I first talk to somebody? John three sixteen. No. It's circular logic. If they don't believe the Bible, why would they believe John 3.16? Let's just talk about who Jesus was. Let's talk about who Jesus was in my life, who Jesus was in your life. But here's the thing. Jesus did not compromise, did he? He didn't compromise. He ate with sinners. He didn't fall into sinning. He ate with sinners to turn them, turn their hearts. Some of us are sitting at tables Jesus would have overthrown. There are seven churches in the book of Ephesus. Remember at the beginning we saw all these numbers that were really bad? If you look at the the seven churches in Revelation, it is what we call dual prophecy. Certainly John is talking about the actual churches in Asia Minor, which is probably Turkey, mostly Turkey today. But he's also talking about the church age. And one of the things that should stick out to you is of seven churches, Jesus has things against five of them. Only Smyrna uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia are doing what's right. That's 28%. Only 28% of the churches are holding fast. Sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? Ephesus lost its first love. It had passion in the beginning for Christ and its relationship. Now they're just checking the box. Pergamum claimed God's name while they are enticing people to compromise and commit sin. Thereterra represents a completely apostate, failing church that is in sexual immorality. Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but was dead. They were just playing church. They weren't really worshiping God. They weren't really trying to spread the gospel. Laodicea was lukewarm. Jesus was going to vomit them out of his mouth, and they were relying on their wealth because they were a rich city to do what they were doing, kind of like the prosperity gospel. Okay, folks, you ready? Got your seatbelts buckled? Which church are we going to be? Our church has a history here. Lisa and I have been here 18, 19 years, so we're newcomers. And uh, um, it's true. Some people have been here 50, 60 years. In that time, we've seen three schisms in the church. We saw a schism between a pastor and an associate pastor. One follow Paul. And that got really ugly, and half the church left. We saw a schism over, is this God's word or not? And we had a vote, and it was 60-40. People believed this was God's word. The the 40% who didn't walked away, for the most part. And then we had another schism, whether we should have uh, a marriage between a man and a woman in the, the bylaws. And that failed because it didn't get into a majority. And another set of people walked away from the church. This is hard, because I love you people. I remember the first time Lisa and I heard a sermon. We were like three weeks, and Pastor Patty was here, and she was talking about the ABC convention she was at and how we need to address homosexuality as you know, a reality in gay marriage. And all. Lisa and I looked at each other and I went, wow, we need to find another church. And we prayed about it, and God said, no, I need you there. Start a Bible study. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But we stayed all these years through all the upheaval and all of what I would consider to be apostate stuff. There have been Bible studies taught by people who didn't believe in a Bible. There have been preaching from Gospels that were not this. We stayed all these years because we love you. We really enjoy you, folks. You're the best. You look crazy, but you're the best. What church are we going to be? Are we going to be one of the 28% that holds the line gets called names, fights a spiritual war, loves people, meets where they are, tells them about the gospel because only the light of Christ is going to cut through this darkness of these lies. And are we going to get ridiculed for it and made fun of and canceled and all the things that are going to happen to us because we do it? Or are we going to be the other majority of churches that go apostate to try to please, please the culture so that everyone likes us? Do you think Paul had it any worse than we do? The Greco-Roman world was completely perverted. And he went out throughout that world and preached, preached, preached Christ. <laughs> He's the light of the world. He cuts through the darkness. But when you preach Christ, you got to preach love and mercy, forgiveness. He's our Savior, intercessor. He's our high priest. He's the healer. He's the God in But at the same time, he is king, he is judge, he is righteous, he is holy, he is justice, he is truth, he's the word, he is obedience, he is sacrifice. You can't have partial gospel, you got to preach the whole thing. So, when I tell people, I have friends, and uh, all you'd be surprised who my friends are, I got friends all over the place, and I tell them, I love you, and God loves you. He doesn't hate you. That's not God. He loves you, but He's got something better for you than what you're choosing. God made you, so He knows what's best for you. Trust me, He's got something better for you than what you're choosing. People say, "Well, I was born that way." Okay, great. Don't act on every impulse. Could you imagine if I acted on every impulse I had as as you know just innate? I'd be on. You don't get to act on every impulse right? We can talk to people, have mature conversations, but you got to start from the position of this being a spiritual war and not one you against me because I believe this and you believe that. Will our message be rejected? Trick question. It's not our message, so no. (laughs) I'm preaching Jesus's message. It has nothing to do with me. And Jesus's message has already been rejected. He's okay with that. I have nothing at stake. I can preach anytime I want to. Do I mean to offend you? Heck no, I love you guys. Do we need to repent as a church? Yes. There are people in the church right here that would argue with me till they're blue in the face about this stuff. I respect it. You're wrong. God's Word. And if you don't believe this is God's Word, okay, but don't say you're a Christian. Jesus believed this was God's Word. He says, Moses talked about me. He said, before Abraham, I am. Not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass till all is fulfilled. I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He believed it. The demons believe in Jesus. It's only, it's funny, demons aren't atheists. They believe in Jesus. It's only us that are atheists. And I tell you this because I love you, because I want all of us to be in heaven. I'll be doing a stand-up on Tuesdays. Um, we, we got to be together as a family. I want you all there. But there is moral absolutes. There is right and wrong. And the culture is going to drag us away like it's dragged every other church, whether it was the Church of the Inquisition, the Catholic Church and its indulgences and making money. It, every church has had its issues because they're part of that 72%, not the twenty. percent Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm sorry I'm banging on you this morning. But it's a message we got to hear. Our church is at a crossroad, isn't it? I read a letter by Bev and Ed. It is a great opportunity to regroup and determine who we're going to be and how we're going to go out. How we're going to go out in the mission field. How we're, not we're gonna, we worry so much about the building and the 99 sheep. Understand something. I'm a sinner who was redeemed by Jesus, and I want that for every single person I see who's made in God's image because I know what that's like. And the most selfish thing you can do is go to heaven by yourself. So I'm going to encourage you. Let's regroup. Let's be excited about going out there and sharing Jesus, no matter the cost. Will people not like it? Yeah but love them enough to tell them it anyway. Amen.